0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of God for the people of God today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we want to take a deep breath. Pause. Recognize that what we're in need of the most this morning is help from your Spirit. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would come now and fill this room with your very presence, the presence of the living God. I beg you, Father, to come and remove anything that would hinder us from hearing from you. Shame, guilt, doubt, depression, fear. I pray that you would remove all of that and more. And that you would insert by the power of your spirit, peace, comfort, conviction. Help us to hear from you. Pray that your spirit would do a work in our hearts this morning through this message. We trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. I want to start us off with a question this morning. It's a question that if you were with us on Christmas Eve, it's the same question I asked that night. And as we move through this, you'll notice that uh, if you were with us on Christmas Eve, you'll notice that, that a little bit of what you'll hear this morning um, we talked about on Christmas Eve as a way to lead into this. Here's that question. The question is this. What is it that's broken inside of you that you long to have fixed? What is broken inside of you that you are longing to have fixed? Because here's the deal, right? On the backside of the Christmas holiday... Uh, For most of us, family get-togethers have have already happened or or they're still happening, maybe. Um, Meals have been had. Gifts have been given. Gifts have been received. Decorations are still up. Probably going to be taken down here pretty soon, right, for most of us. Maybe you'll leave them up all year round. Um, I know some folks that do that. But the basic idea is this, that for, for, for most of us, Christmas is already kind of in the rear view to some extent. And what lies ahead of us is the new year. What lies ahead of us is most likely a long, cold winter. doesn't take long for the warmth of Christmas to give away or give way to the cold, harsh reality of the next three months of winter, right? You get through all the warmth and the joy of Christmas and then you kind of wake up to the fact that there's going to be a long cold winter ahead of us. It's about to get cold and bitter. And truth be told, the, 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 uh, the warmth and the excitement and the joy of the Christmas season, um, it can kind of honestly give way to a, a kind of a nagging reminder of the brokenness And the separatedness and the loneliness of the world that we live in. Anybody agree with that? Mm -hmm. When you think about all of the things that need to be broken deep down inside of us, what we're reminded of is those kinds of things. Brokenness, separateness, loneliness. We're really living in a world that is in need of true reconciliation. So you might mark that word, reconciliation. Reconciliation. See, the Christmas holiday, um, while, you know, momentarily providing uh, some joyful reprieve in the broken world that we live in, the Christmas uh, holiday, the Christmas season can also be a really harsh reminder. Harsh reminder of the broken marriages or the divided family or the wayward kids, the job loss, the, the nagging depression that doesn't go away. The ongoing struggle with addiction uh, or, or, or the lack of maybe the deep relationships in your life because you're running around too busy all the time that you barely get the time to get past the first few inches of relationship. Christmas season does little to cover um, the depravity of the, uh, the political system that we live under. Um, You've got a political system that's enamored with power and prestige. So the Christmas season does little to do away with that, covers it for a little bit, and then you're back to reality once again. What this is all to say is this, that the Christmas season, while it's beautiful, and it's full of joy, the Christmas season in and of itself does very little to truly fix the brokenness that we face each and every day. What happens is we come out the other side of the Christmas season and we find out that we still long for true and lasting reconciliation. We still long for things to be renewed. We still long for the things that are broken to be fixed. (coughs) Makes a poor band-aid. So I'm going to ask you the question again. What is it that's broken inside of you that you long to have fixed. Just take a minute and think about that. What is it that is broken in your life that you long to have fixed? So the world is infected with a kind of brokenness that cannot be medicated or fixed with a flash-in-the-pan national holiday that comes around every year. Now, don't hear me wrong, don't hear me wrong, Christmas is beautiful. We are absolutely privileged to be able to celebrate it every year the way that we do. But Christmas, Christmas can only be as beautiful as its direct counterpart is ugly. In other words, Christmas is is beautiful simply because, as as a believer, if you're a believer this morning, you recognize that the world that we live in is ugly. It's infected with sin. And and the beauty of, of Christmas is then amplified, or it amplifies, our longing for true Reconciliation and restoration of what's been broken. So, so what is it inside of you? What is it in your life that is broken that you long to have fixed? So when you think about fixing something, <coughs> you have to think about reconciliation. You have to think about rescue. And you have to think about restoration as well. See, the work of reconciliation is inexplicably tied to the work of rescue and restoration. Okay? Without rescue, reconciliation can happen. Without reconciliation, restoration really is a doomed process. You think about those three things. What are they? You got rescue, you got reconciliation, and you got restoration. They're three separate things, but without each other, they're only three separate things. Rescue is to get something back that was lost, right? Reconciliation is to put back together something that wasn't that was meant to be together but has been torn apart. That's a picture of reconciliation. When you think about restoration, the idea of restoration is that you would take something that is in shambles and you would restore it, such as you would restore an old hot rod, right, that you pull out of a riverbed. So you would rescue that hot rod out of the riverbed. You would reconcile the parts back together as you restore it. So all three of those words, rescue, reconciliation, and restoration, they are all intertwined with each other. Reconciliation really is at the center, though. And you have rescue and you have restoration on the outsides of that. So you think about it this way. If you think about a husband and wife who are estranged from each other, broken, relationship is broken, Unless that estranged husband and wife experiences some kind of res- uh, reconciliation between each other, where they come back together, then there's never going to be a rescue. There's never going to be a restored marriage. And no holiday glitter is ever going to cover that kind of brokenness or produce any kind of transformation. Does it make sense? Really, in all of this, the same is true, regardless of what kind of brokenness we're faced with. At the end of the day, we all need the power of Jesus. Jesus is the one who reigns supreme in reconciliation. But the question is this, when you think about the word reconciliation alone, what does reconciliation involve? What does it mean that Jesus came into this world to reconcile all things to himself? What does it mean that Jesus reigns supreme in reconciliation? One way to explain it is to say that Jesus reigns supreme in four areas of reconciliation. The pleasure, the method, the purpose, and the condition. The pleasure, the method, the purpose, and the condition. Let's look at the first one, verses 19 through 20. What we see is we see that Jesus reigns supreme in the pleasure of reconciliation. So think about what you take pleasure in. Each of us takes pleasure in different little diverse things, right? What are your chosen pleasures? Some of us find lots of pleasure in watching a good movie. Some of us find... Lots of pleasure in engaging in a great conversation. We find lots of pleasure in eating some well-made food. Find lots of pleasure in reading a good book. Anybody here find pleasure in creating a good work of art? There's lots of ways that we all find pleasure, but at the end of the day, I think we could probably all agree that when something gets broken, and then it gets fixed, we find lots of pleasure in it. There's not many of us who don't find pleasure in seeing a broken thing get fixed, right? We all enjoy that. And the pleasure that we feel when that broken thing does get fixed, that pleasure that we feel is really just an extension of the same kind of pleasure that God takes in fixing broken things. So it's his reflection in and through us. That's why Paul says that in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, right? I mean, at the end of the day, God literally found some of his deepest joy in sending himself in the flesh to die in the place of sinful humanity. Why? So that by his broken body, by his shed blood, sinners could become sons and daughters. That's the reality. When you think about God's reconciling work in the cross of Christ, what do you see? What you see in God's reconciling work in the cross of Christ is you see an utter one sided work of reconciliation, it's one sided. It's been been done by God in and through Christ on our behalf. See, here's the reality. There's not one of us in this room that could testify authentically to a story that says that that we were seeking God somewhere because there was this big God-shaped hole inside of us, and we were just hungering for Him, and so we're chasing God, we're looking for him everywhere because somehow he was lost and we couldn't find him and he was hiding in some bushes somewhere. None of us could testify to that kind of a story. The Bible doesn't testify to that kind of story either. The Bible testifies to a story that says that, that God came in the flesh to us in the Christmas season to seek and to save those who were lost because all of us are like sheep who have gone astray and that we were or we are still in need of reconciliation or salvation from the God who never stops chasing us and never stops looking in the bushes for us. That's the authentic story of Christmas. Not the other so-called story that we were seeking God somehow. This picture of God finding pleasure in the work of sending His Son Jesus to be God in the flesh, to die on a cross, that story of of Jesus being the rescuer of those who were lost and running headlong in our rebellion away from Him, that's the story of Christmas that we celebrate. And it's the story that, that Paul is celebrating here. And what he's celebrating in this first part is that Jesus Himself Reigns supreme. He's in first place. He reigns supreme in the pleasure of that reconciliation. There's nobody else that takes greater pleasure in reconciliation than Jesus himself. All the pleasure that you and I find in the work of reconciliation is a direct reflection of the work of the Spirit of God inside of you. Look at the second thing. The second thing we see is in verses 20 and 22, we, we learn that Jesus reigns supreme not only in the pleasure, but also in the method of reconciliation. He reigns supreme in the method of reconciliation. Now, <coughs> we, we all have our own methods for fixing what's broken, right? You think about this. Like there are some of us who we maybe more so me than others of us in the room. No, there's probably some of us, but part of our method of fixing what's broken is try to explain it, right? Gather all the knowledge we can gather about it and then point by point explain it. Some of us like to use super glue. My son, Lewis likes to use super glue. There's others of us who like to use nails and screws. My son likes to use nails and screws, too. <laughs> Some of us like to rely on other professionals to get the job done. Anybody else in this room like to do that? Like, I just want to find somebody who's a pro with this, pay them to do the job, get it done. Yeah, I fall in that category sometimes, too. Like, if you say you know how to do it, you got the degree, just please come fix this stupid thing. Namely, my cars. We won't like, even get off on that, that topic. Others of us like to use duct tape. My mom used to do that. <laughs> you Fix everything with duct tape. we now, we were so poor, this is just a side bunny trail, we were so poor when I grew up, and we, we didn't get new shoes. So we, when our shoes got holes in them, she wrapped duct tape around them. So we had shoes that were made out of duct tape. Um, whatever the method is that you choose um, to fix the broken things, whatever method is that you choose, the reality is that we all love to fix broken things, right? And the joy that we feel, just like the pleasure that we feel in fixing something, we also find in the method, like I find some joy in figuring out a method for broken, or fixing what's broken. I mean, just, just figuring out the method sometimes is part of the process. And really, that's a direct reflection, once again, of the image of God in each of us, right? Now this is to say, we all know we all know that this world is not what it was meant to be. And we all know, I think, instinctively, that it's not just that the world out there is broken, but because we're in this world, we are broken, therefore the world is broken. Oftentimes we have a tendency to look at it like the world is broken, so we're broken. It's backwards. Um, Scriptures know nothing of that. What the Scriptures know of is that we are broken, therefore the world is broken. Um, We know that we are not what we were meant to be. And because we know that deep down inside, there's, there's a longing, a longing, a desire inside of us to see things made right. To find a method to fix what is broken. And this is why Paul says that God the Father does have a method. He has a method for fixing what has been broken in the human race. What's his method? His method for fixing what has been broken is the person and the work of his son Jesus Christ. See, in in His Son, Jesus Christ, God will, the Scripture says in verses 20 and 22, God will reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross, Parentheses through which He has now reconciled, who? Believers. In His body of flesh by His death. See, simply stated, when you read these verses and you think about, God's method of reconciliation, you find that the method of God's reconciliation is the broken body and the shed blood of His Son, Jesus. That's His method. Now, the reality here is that there is no other method by which man can be made right with God. We, we, we believe that, right, as believers, but like we also find really interesting ways to walk in unbelief of that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I believe that the only method by which man can be made right with God is through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. That message, the gospel. I believe that. I would amend that all day long. But I find really weird ways to walk in unbelief. Of that I I believe that my hard work my hard work would do that Um, I believe that my my giving may make things right right I mean that there are all sorts of ways in which we are called to give ourselves away for the glory of God which is right and good and true but then in the midst of that find myself Doing those things motivated in such a way that I just want to fix what's broken. And then when, when what's broken doesn't get fixed, what do I experience? I experience despair, right? Or anger. Or, or blame, right? Maybe in my frustration because that which is broken is not yet fixed, I, I begin to blame. Well, it, you no, know, it's their fault. They didn't listen. So I'm just saying, that I find it easy. I find it way too easy. Why, why do I find it too easy to not believe that truth that, that Christ himself is the method by which God wants to fix broken things? Why do I find that so easy? Because I'm still broken, right? I'm not yet who I am meant to be. In front of God, I know that you and I are perfect if we trust in Jesus, right? There's a positional thing, like standing in front of him, perfect, white as snow. And yet, still live here on this earth amidst the brokenness. It's like when Paul says, hey, all of the good things I want to do, right, I don't do those. All the bad things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Who's going to release me from this body of death, right? It's that, it's that struggle that we live in. And we need to be reminded that God in Christ has provided the number one method by which man can be made right with God. There's there's no super glue strong enough, right? There's no duct tape sticky enough. There's no nails or screws long enough. There's no professionals smart enough to fix what's broken inside of us. (coughs) All of our methods for fixing ourselves, at the end of the day, are bankrupt because our methods come out of our own brokenness. The person who is in need of fixing can never produce the method for fixing what's broken inside of that person. It's, it's an oxymoron. Broken cars don't fix themselves, right? You do take them to a professional And in this case, who do we need to take ourselves to in our brokenness? The foot of the cross. Take ourselves to Jesus because Jesus reigns supreme in the method for fixing what is broken in us. I mean, the reality is the world around us and even Christians around us will give us all sorts of answers that aren't biblical at all. We need a better answer to the problem of evil and brokenness in this world, other than these answers. Other than the, the common kind of uh, self-help, um, shrouded in religious language kinds of answers, like just work harder, or just get smarter, or just find somebody who does work harder or is smarter than you to help you get it done, Right? We need better answers than that because those answers fall terribly short of the gospel. Here's the thing. Whatever the answer is to uh, the problems of evil out there in the world, right? Whatever they may be, whatever social problem might catch your attention, whether that problem is a political problem or that problem is a third world country problem or that problem is a homeless shelter down the street problem, or that problem is an abortion problem, whatever social problem that you see in the world out there that needs to be fixed and whatever the answers practically are to those problems, because they may differ with each person just pragmatically speaking, right? Like, for some of us, it's going to be, hey, I'm going to go feed people on Saturdays. Um, and that's great. Do so for others. I'm going to come alongside of the woman who's thinking about abortion. For others, I'm going to go hold signs in front of abortion clinic though I don't understand because that's not me. But the method for all of those kinds of fixing of things and engaging in the culture can be different based on how God's wired you, based on the kinds of passions you've given you. But when you kind of push all of that away, even you just come back to the original question. What's broken inside of you? Most of us as Christians, we don't like that question because it, it pushes, it presses a button on something that makes us uncomfortable, right? And we love our comfort. We don't make me uncomfortable. Heaven forbid you make me uncomfortable and get under my skin, right? Heaven forbid you kind of violate my comfortable bubble. That question does that. It kind of violates that space. What is it inside of you that is broken that needs to be fixed? Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, whatever the answer is to all the problems in the world, the social problems we want to engage in that we need to, here's what's definitely true. Black and white, stone cold true from the scriptures. Here's what's definitely true. God the Father determined to go all in on his supreme method of reconciliation. How did he do this? He did it by taking his own medicine in the death of his son Jesus at the cross of Calvary. That's true. And that you and I can stand on because that is the gospel. Jesus reigns supreme in the method of reconciliation. Here's the thing. He doesn't just reign supreme in the pleasure. He doesn't just reign supreme in the method, but he also reigns supreme in the purpose of reconciliation. It's the question of why, right? The purpose, the reason why. All of us do what we do for a reason, right? We get married for a reason. We have kids for a reason. Sometimes it was like, oops. Other times it was like we planned this out, hook, line, and sinker dates and everything. Don't know how? We have a reason. We have a reason that we pursue jobs, a reason that we pursue a church home, a reason that we engage in social causes. And at the end of the day, we all have reasons for doing what we do. And we have very specific reasons why we attempt to fix what is broken in this world. One man's pursuit of fixing a broken thing It's not quite the same as another man's pursuit of fixing a broken thing. I like to fix broken Harley-Davidson's. My friend Chris likes to fix broken, what are they again? Corvairs. I don't know the first thing about Corvairs. Probably not as much as he probably doesn't know anything about Harley-Davidson's either. Right? We like to fix different broken things. That's the diversity of God in the midst of his creation. But at the end of the day, one thing Is still the same. We love to fix what is broken. And we have reasons for that. And God has a very specific reason or a very specific purpose in reconciliation or fixing what is broken in us through the cross of Christ, right? Well, look back at the text when you ask this question. Why does God love to do this? Why is God so concerned about reconciliation? Why is He doing this, right? Verses 21-22, Paul says, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now, what's that word? None of you are following with me, are you? Let's try again. We're in verses 21 and 22, y'all. Okay? We're in verses 21 and 22, okay? <laughs> hey! We're in verses 21 and 22, all right? I need to know that y'all are alive. Okay, this is good. I'm not just me all by myself here. Verses 21 and 22. Let me start at the top. You who once were alienated and a hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now what? Reconciled. Yes. Cha-ching. Stars on your charts in heaven. Y'all got saved today. <laughs> good. Reconciled. Right? Reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? Why did he do this? What's his reason? What's his purpose? Look at the rest of the verse. In order to, here's the reason, present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's why. Simply stated, the Father's reconciling purpose, right? The reason why he sent Jesus during the Christmas season was to rescue and reconcile and restore fallen humanity back to its intended perfect and holy state of being. (coughs) It ties in with the themes of the scriptures from beginning to end. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Read the Bible under any other major categorical themes, and I'll be honest with you, you probably start reading it more out of a self-centered mind frame. More about me. What did I get out of this today? Open the Bible, drop it and let it fall wherever jesus what are you saying to me today not that that's horrible you can do that but at the end of the day it becomes me centered right rather than god help me meet you has more to do with what's god going to do for me today it's kind of a consumeristic way of living out our christianity consumerism is a major spirit that covers america wouldn't you agree amen yeah God has a very specific reason, very specific purpose in reconciling us to himself. Think about those three words, rescued, reconciled, and restored. Those three words are actually the new identity of every believer who once was alienated, separated, and hostile. You replace those words, alienated, separated, and hostile, with rescued, reconciled, and restored. You can introduce yourself to people that way hey, what's your name? My name's Will. I am rescued, reconciled, and I'm being restored by the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How about you? Like, we could actually start introducing ourselves that way, and yeah, it'd probably seem a little weird. But think about the conversations you might have. If you took on that identity like it was a name for you, like when your father looks at you, he says, Abe, I know you. You're rescued, Right? you're reconciled, you're restored. That's the identity that is given to us. You can turn to Romans chapter 8 and see it all over there, right? Connects to this. When you think about God's reason, you think about God's purpose in reconciliation, what you see is you see a God who wants to present every one of His enemies, first and foremost, He wants to present every one of His enemies to Himself as holy and blameless and perfect children. It's a transformation process whereby you move from an enemy who was alienated and hostile and rebellious, you move from that camp into the camp of being a child of God, no longer an enemy of God, you're now rescued, reconciled, and restored. That's that's the work of transformation that jesus does in the cross of christ that's why that's your new identity and that's what god wants to do and he does that through the gospel of the crucified risen and returning christ through the message of the gospel god administers the medicine of the gospel you think about that sickness of sin right i mean it's so much more than a sickness but sickness is a great way to describe it sickness falls short if you only use the word sickness but it's a great way to begin. It's a sickness that's totally infected us. It's a rebellion inside of us that that you can't get away from. It is like a slave owner, really, sin is. It it like owns you. You can't get away from it, and it beats you down. Yet here's the weird thing. It feels good, and it tastes good, and so you keep running back to it, just like a dog runs back to its vomit, right? Right? When you think about sin, there's so many ways you can talk about sin to give it a complete picture. But one way is to talk about it like it's a sickness. The reality is that in the gospel, what God has done is he's administered the medicine of the gospel. Do you think about that moment when you heard the gospel and you believed it? You imagine that like taking a pill, right? A kind of a medicine or heaven forbid, should I say, vaccination in this room, right? or in this country period think about it like you'd be taking some medicine at that moment that you take that pill it begins a work and the work that it begins in you is actually the work of God's own declaration over you of of complete holiness and that declaration of complete holiness over you was made over you when you were still his enemy Because He knew that you'd become His child. At the very moment that you begin to receive that medicine by grace through faith, what happens? That declaration becomes alive in you. And you move out of that camp from being alienated and at war with God to being now His redeemed, reconciled, restored rescued child of god that's what happens in the message of the gospel god's declaration over you is coming to fruition in that moment his vision for your life in that moment is just beginning and i won't stop until it's complete this is why we say that jesus reigns supreme in the purpose or reason of reconciliation. Now, he not only reigns supreme in the pleasure, not only reigns supreme supreme in the method, not only reigns supreme in the purpose, but he also reigns supreme, finally, in the condition of reconciliation. The condition of reconciliation. Here's the thing. We put conditions on things. I know all of us like, no, grace first. No legalism in this place. Get it? No legalism in this place. Grace is first for sure. But we do put conditions on things, don't we? Like, nobody lives their life without conditions, okay? And if you think you do, you, 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 I'll pray that, like, God would set you free from the deception you're believing, that kind of thing, all right? And we can talk about it later. We do put conditions on things. When you get married, you get married on a condition that that person's going to be faithful to you. Um, How about choosing a church family, okay? Like it or not, we all choose church families on some conditions, I think one of the most best godly ways to do that is is it a good fit in terms of mission and is it a good faithful biblical expression of the gospel, right? Not some of the common reasons that go into finding good churches. Um, but there's a condition there. You think about the time you put in at work. Anybody go to work with no conditions? Anybody here? Okay, there's not one of you. I don't know why. No, I do know why. Nobody goes to work without putting conditions on their employers, Right? You put your time in, you expect that you would get some adequate salary and adequate benefit. That's a condition. Um, How about when you buy things? Anybody here ever just buy things without really caring uh, how good a quality they are? No? Okay. See, this is not a sin for us at all. Conditions are important. Conditions are a fact of life. Um, In the same way, when you think about the offer of reconciliation... The offer of reconciliation to God comes with some conditions as well. I can feel all of us deep down inside screaming legalism, right? You think about this for a minute. Um, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that God's love or God's salvation over us can be earned. Because that's not true. It can't be earned. We're not talking about it that way. Um, When you do think about conditions... We do need to think about the fact that there are conditions, there are requirements to receiving or walking in the loving salvation of our Heavenly Father, right? Here's a statement I came across. Lip service without skin in the game is really unheard of in the historic Christian faith. It is. Lip service without skin in the game is unheard of in the historic Christian faith. Here's what I mean by this. Here's what God didn't say. God didn't say, hey, I love you i love you a whole bunch i really want to save you it's what i really want to do and then he went and he just sat back in his big comfy lounge chair while you did all the work that's not the gospel right okay I would agree with that how about the flip side the flip side is not this either god's loving salvation cannot be earned by any good works on our part this is true agreed that's true But it's also not like we just get to sit back and consume the beautiful product of God's loving salvation without returning some kind of reciprocal, loving, faith-filled actions. Agreed? See, That's the book of James. There are conditions. This is why Paul says this. You can find assurance, I think, in the fact that even though you once were an enemy of God... You're now a child of God. If, look at the word, look at verse 23, the word if in the Greek, you know what that word is? It's if. Well, it's not. I mean, whatever the Greek word is, it means if. <laughs> if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So when you read that, what you're you're reading about is you're reading about conditions of reconciliation. The simple truth here is God has set what I think I would call supreme conditions for becoming a blood-bought child of God, and those conditions involve something, the transformation of the mind, heart, and will, and what you think, what you desire, how you behave. That needs to be transformed. See, without any kind of reconciliation, then our hearts and our minds and our wills, they're really just going to remain adrift, right? Floating around on this icy cold sea of sin and rebellion and depravity, alienated from our Heavenly Father. But On the contrary, on the other side, the heart, the mind, and the will that grasps the Father's loving work of reconciliation and restoration in the rescuing work of the cross of Christ, <clears throat> it's going to inevitably ask the Father for forgiveness. When was the last time you came to your Father in heaven and asked for forgiveness? And I don't just mean the glossed over Christianese, hey Father, I'm, for, I'm sorry for all the sin I committed today, would you please forgive me? Stamp, rubber stamp out the door, right? My, my good deed is done for the day. My Prayer life is great. How about, what would it look like, when was the last time, you knelt down before your Father at the cross and said, you know what, Father, I am really sorry for these specific things that I've done. I've sinned against you. I harbored hatred in my heart. I harbored unforgiveness in my heart. I spoke harshly this morning to that one person. I had a thought where I wanted to cut someone's throat. I mean, I don't know what it is for you. I looked on a woman with lust. Whatever it may be for you, when was the last time you came to your father and just kind of laid all of that out there and then just said, I need you to forgive me. Because in that place, I believe, is where transformation of the, the mind, the heart, and the will begins to take place. Asking for forgiveness is where the reception of God's rescue and restoration in the work of reconciliation begins in the life of the believer. So as we come to the end of the Christmas season, um, as we come down to the end of this series, as we begin to look forward to uh, the new year, um, I think we all do recognize easily enough that the world that we live in is broken, right? That we're broken, And yet, in the midst of doing this study, when you think about these verses today, um, you can rest assured that Jesus reigns supreme in those four areas. The pleasure, the method, the purpose, the condition of reconciliation. And really, the bloody cross, the empty tomb, the promise of eternity in heaven, where all things will be restored. That's the promise of complete rescue, complete restoration. You could say completed rescue, completed restoration reconciliation. In that message, we find that God will make all things right. And he wants to continue making things right between you and him. And so I fought this week trying to find a way to kind of wrap things up. And I came across an illustrator story in one of the commentaries I was, was reading. It's, it's, a, it's an illustration from the story of the Titanic. You're probably familiar with the story of the Titanic, right? Um... You know, it was that big cruise ship that sunk because of the ice under the surface, I think. And when the Titanic sunk, there were 1,600 passengers fighting to stay alive in the icy cold sea as 18, count them, 18, 18 half-empty rescue boats were floating just 300 yards away. 18 half-empty rescue boats. Each of those rescue boats, do the math, could have held a few hundred people in each of them. The point of the story is not one of them had to die. Not one of the 1,600. That's the way I read it. 18 half-empty rescue boats floating 300 yards away while... 1,600 passengers are floating in that cold sea. Those 18 half-empty rescue boats, they weren't willing to return. They weren't willing to rescue people from the mess they were drowning in as they faced the hopelessness of certain death. Yet here's the thing, those 18 half-full rescue boats, they did find pleasure They found pleasure in self preservation. They did find a method. They found a method to save their own skin. They did find a reason and a purpose to stay on the sidelines while people are drowning helplessly. They also found a good condition for themselves that they consumed their own safety. The consumption of their own safety was the condition by which they would not reach out. Can't get too close, they might drown us. Can't get too close to that sinner, I might catch what they got. Right? That's what was happening there. That's a great spiritual picture for what happens oftentimes in the church today. So the world we live in is just like that icy cold sea. It's just like that icy cold sea where 18 half-empty rescue boats are floating aimlessly out of reach as 1,600 people are drowning. This is the picture of the brokenness in our world. But here's the thing about the Christmas season. The Christmas season gives us a ton of hope, right? In the midst of thinking about that heaviness, that hardship, the Christmas season itself will not transform us, but it does give us hope. Because it reminds us that Jesus reigns supreme in the work of reconciliation. You see, through Christ's work at the bloody cross, through his victory in the empty tomb, with his promise of return to complete the work of restoration, what do we have? We have a Savior who reigns supreme in the pleasure, the method, the purpose, and the condition of that reconciliation. You see, at the end of the day, Jesus loves you and I so much that he took his own medicine, By taking on human flesh to swim out into the cold sea of our own sin, our own depravity. So that He could rescue and reconcile and and restore each and every one of us. See, Jesus is the one and only rescue boat that actually casts off all the restraint. And He comes after the one drowning person who will get into that boat of God's rescue. He comes out as that rescue boat to give restoration, to give reconciliation through the message of the crucified, risen, and returning Christ. And the only question at the end of all of that is, Is Jesus reigning supreme in your life? Like, there are many things that can reign supreme in our life in a year like this year, right? And the question, I think, at the end of these three weeks of study is just simply that. Who's reigning supreme in your life? Who's got first place in your life? What is that? My prayer is that it would be Jesus. That's my prayer. I want to pray for us, and then we are going to have an interesting time of worship. Would you bow your heads with me and stand with me, please? Father, (coughs) hey, Lord, as we... uh, As we bring this uh, series to a close, Lord, I pray that you would um, continue to do a work in our hearts. Pray, God, that you would continue a work of transformation. Pray, God, that you would bring us to the cross. Help us to trust in Jesus' work at that cross. Lord, now as we come to you to worship you through song, Lord, we pray that your spirit would come and inhabit the praises of your people that you would give us energy, that you would turn the eyes of our hearts to the work of Jesus at the cross, remind us of the victory of the empty tomb, fill us full of the hope of heaven. Lord, we trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.TheWellHastings.com.